Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sarah Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sarah Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sarah Davison. to the show and today Tina Swithin is joining me for part two of her interview. Automatically you become an alienator if your child isn't happy to spend time with the parent so you can't win but then also which I find very interesting and I hadn't realized about the system is almost then the, the burden of proof is on you as the victim to prove otherwise whereas in the criminal courts it's not that way around you know you're innocent till proven guilty whereas you know, in my experiences of, of working with so many people around the world, this just isn't the case. Is this what you're experiencing, Tina? Absolutely. It's happening all across the world where you could go into court. And if you're brave enough to even make allegations of abuse, which starts your case off on a really dangerous path, if you're brave enough to even admit that you are a victim of abuse, you automatically then become the spotlight is on you, that you are the problem. And and yeah, it's a complete flip of the script to where, you know, and, and just like you said, criminal court, perjury matters, criminal court, um, you know, and, and it's the, uh, it's like the wild, wild west, the twilight zone, family court. And again, if anyone in everyday citizen had a glimpse into what's happening, everybody would be an ally in trying to um, put a stop to what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I have to say that there are some, you know, professionals in that industry, in the family court system, who do understand abuse, who are working hard to change things from the inside out. But unfortunately, it is the minority. It's it's definitely not mainstream. And there is a very, very long way to go. And serious damage is being done, not only to the victim of abuse, but also to the children, as this is continuing at the rate that it is right now. I mean, I'm really interested to know how you perceived the family courts before you went in to them and then what you know your perception was as you went through that process. Absolute naivety, you know, walking in hopeful. And, you know, I was in a, a women's shelter for domestic violence victims when I was filing my initial paperwork with the court system. And I thought that would have an impact. You know, here I fled my home because I'm afraid for my life. And I, I took my little girls in their pajamas out of the house at 5 a.m. and checked us into a domestic violence shelter. That in itself, I thought we would be protected. I walked into the court believing that their priority and their goal would be to make sure that my children were safe. I, you know, for me, take all the assets, take all the money, take anything. I don't care about the material items. All I cared about was my little girls being safe. And what I found instead was, again, you know, the fairness to both parents. It's an uneven playing field because I had been a victim of financial abuse. So he was able to consult with and hire attorneys 
I was not able to, I had to act as my own attorney. You know, there's just so many different areas where we are failing victims of domestic violence and we're failing children. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you see as the impact on the children coming out of this? We'll talk about the children first and then we'll come to the to the victims of abuse. But for the children, what do you see the impact of this? And you know, what is happening to them as well? What do you see happening over there? Like, so the children don't want to go and the courts are saying they should. Well, what's happening then, Tina? It's, you know, I could walk into 10 different courtrooms and come out with 10 different outcomes. You know, it really comes down to who the professionals are. But, you know, overall, if the children don't want to go and get in the car with this abuser, um, you know, then the burden is on me. I, in some states here in the U.S., I could go to jail if my children won't get in the car with an unsafe, unstable person. You know, it took me six years, two full custody evaluations, um, lots of family court professionals coming on board and looking at our case, supposedly under a microscope, but I, you know, up to so many people, these are just case numbers. They're just business transactions and they don't really do a deep dive to understand what the problem is, but the repercussions on our children, the trauma, the emotional baggage that they're carrying. You know, when I'm hearing about three-year-olds who have a diagnosis of anxiety, um, you know, or an eight-year-old who's diagnosed with depression, um, you know, just even under the most ideal circumstances in a divorce, a child being forced to bounce back and forth and never having a stable home base, that's difficult enough. But then when you add in the extra layers uh, and, you know, even a, as a 30 something year old woman with a life experience and a toolbox and a therapist, it was hard for me to navigate a relationship with this person. And so when you've got a four-year-old and a six-year-old or whatever the age of the children who don't understand, you know, what emotional abuse is, what psychological abuse is, all they know is I'm afraid of this person, but they can't articulate it. And even if they can, no one's listening to them. You know, we're teaching kids keep talking, keep speaking until someone hears you. But if you're under the umbrella of family court, they, they won't hear you. Yeah. And especially if they've made the false allegation that that the victim of abuse is an alienator, then that basically removes the child's voice because they'll say, well, that voice of the child has been so heavily influenced by the victim of abuse that we can't listen to it because it's the child's just regurgitating what that parent is saying. So again, that means that their voice, the child's rights, as you were talking about earlier, are trumped by parental rights every time. So yeah, I mean, that, that can be devastating. But I mean, I guess for people listening, if children don't want to go and you can't get them in the car, then what happens? 
You know, they're the, the alienation movement is terrifying. And, and for anyone who is not familiar with it, um, it traces back to American psychologist Richard Gardner, very disgraced, ended up actually committing suicide. Um, but he was very friendly to pedophiles and thought that anytime um, a mother raised claims of sexual abuse, um, that she was an alienator. And so the roots of this movement are incredibly disturbing, but the present day movement is equally disturbing. You know, we are, we are taking away children's voices, not giving them any credit for what their intuition is telling them or their own life experiences, you know, are causing them to reject the unhealthy or unsafe parent and we're forcing them. And, and in a lot of areas, you know, it's not, it hasn't completely taken over the U.S. I don't know how it is over there, but in most countries, there are pockets of, you know, I call it the cottage industry of alienation professionals, and I use that term so lightly, um, who are peddling this junk science is, is what I refer to it as because it has no basis in in science, there's no empirical research or data to show that alienation is truly a thing. It's the weapon of the abuser. And as soon as someone lodges a complaint against abuse, it's almost nine times out of 10, they're going to be labeled an alienator. And, and you know, right now what's happening worldwide is these camps, uh, these alienation camps, if a child is absolutely refusing contact with their abusive parent, they are they can be stripped from their safe parent. They can be put into these camps. Um, sometimes they are prohibited from having contact with their safe parent for blackout periods of time. It could be 30 days. It could be 90 days. I know of parents who haven't seen their children in several years after being taken and placed in these camps. Um, the only thing that gives me hope is that, you know, currently there are kids who have been through these camps and are now young adults and they're speaking out and they're sharing their absolute horror stories about what's happening in these camps and, you know, we've heard for years about the wilderness camps and all of these, you know, abuse, abusive, you know, I know Paris Hilton has been speaking out here in the U.S. about what she endured. It's no different. Um, you know, kids are being brainwashed in these camps and told that their abusive experiences did not happen and they're forced into relationships, sometimes with sexual predators. And it just, again, if, if the everyday citizen knew what was happening, we would all be coming together to put an end to this. I mean, it's barbaric. It is absolutely barbaric. And yes, it happens over here. In fact, there was a, a, a TV show that came out in July this year, 2021, and they were called dispatches, and they were talking yes. about torn apart by the family courts. And they showed how children were being removed by police um, yep. when they were scared to be with that parent. Um, I mean, it's shocking. And I don't think that people think it happens. You know, I mean, recently there was a very disturbing story in the press over here, a little boy who was 
abused and the social services were aware people knew that he was being abused and finally he was murdered but the the challenge is we have so many I mean it's a horrific traumatic story but you know these are children that are suffering real abuse and they can't be removed from those unsafe parents you know the police cannot go in and remove them and there's so many systems to to protect the parents there yet on the other side in the private family law system it seems to be just a complete opposite where children are being removed from the safe parents because they're being, I don't know whether it's wrongly diagnosed by the professionals or I don't know whether there is a movement towards being aware of it. I don't know. Do you think these professionals know what they're doing or do you think they really believe in what they're doing is right? I think it's a mixed bag. I think that there's a lot of people who are in it for the money. You know, some of these camps are charging here in the U.S. 40,000 U.S. dollars for these children to go into these camps. It is a huge money-making industry. And so I think that there are a tremendous amount of people who know exactly what they're doing and, and they should lose their licenses and they should you know, face the consequences for child trafficking is truly what's happening. But then I think that there, you know, just, just like in the domestic violence community, there are a lot of moms who use the word alienation without understanding how, what a horrible impact that's having on my work, on my advocacy, on your work, on, you know, that word should never be used. It should be removed from the dictionary of protective parents and, and, uh, you know, victims of abuse. And so I think there are a lot of people using that word without knowing the impact. And then what it's doing is it's validating these uh, toxic professionals who are in it for the money, who are sacrificing children to further their own pocketbooks. So, you know, I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen on it. Um, but then I think there are a lot of professionals who, you know, they attend a training and they start to drink the Kool-Aid of what's being offered. And, and that's where, you know, it's, it's really those are the ones where I feel there's hope if we can educate them on the reality of the people who are higher up in this movement. Yeah. I mean, I think the work you're doing is shining a light and will lead to consequences for people that are involved in this. What, what is sort of beggars belief for me is that it's not a glaring conflict of interest because you and I, you know, getting paid huge sums of money to run private camps or, you know, these sort of indoctrination sessions or, you know, removing the child and with no contact and putting them with the other parent against their will, you know, getting paid to then give therapy to the various parties involved. I mean, that's clearly a conflict of interest because if the child stays with that parent, then there is no camp, there is no fee, there is no money to be made at that, at that level anyway. Um, and why aren't the judges seeing this? Why is that not obvious? And I, I had a client recently who said, but, you know, I've been telling my barrister they need to say clearly this is a conflict of interest. And the barrister said, oh, no, we can't say that because the judge won't like it because all the professionals, you know, should be adhering to the court code. 
Uh, but, you know, and then when you see that some law firms, and I'm sure, you know, I've seen this around the world, will weaponize this when they know that this is something going on. Because, again, there's a lot of money in it for them, because these cases, you know, you get all the experts, you get a lot of time that, you know, they can run up huge, huge. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of pounds over here and more in dollars, obviously. You know, how I just don't understand. Do you see how that's not glaringly obvious that it is a conflict of interest? Are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce? Are you feeling devastated, heartbroken, sad and anxious? If so, please know that you are not alone and there is help available. Sarah Davison, best known as the Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup take back your control and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and start to feel happy again. Yeah, they can run up huge, huge, I'm talking hundreds of thousands of pounds over here and more in dollars, obviously. You know, how... I just don't understand. Do you see how that's not glaringly obvious that it is a conflict of interest? It's glaring. But the the problem with family court in general is that it's an unregulated industry. You know, that's that's a huge part of the issue in general. And then when you have these cottage industry professionals making so much money off of these um, and they're the ones getting their foot in the door and doing trainings for the judges and they're doing their, you know, beautiful sales pitch and 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 selling them on these things. You know, I do believe that, you know, with the lack of training in domestic violence, the lack of training on this topic, and then when their door gets opened and one of these um, alienation professionals come in and are pitching them, they're, you know, you're going to buy it. They are going to buy it because they don't know the other side of it in the background. You know, when I have had the opportunity to talk to professionals and explain to them the roots of this movement, the present day movement, which really could be traced to father's rights groups. There's a lot of money in those groups and they're the ones funding a lot of these trainings and programs you know once some once the right it's spelled out for them and they can start to connect the dots they get it but it sounds just so it's hard for most people to grasp unless they're in this in the trenches watching these things happen yeah and i and that's what i hear from my clients because they they say to me sarah it's like I'm the only sane person I'm walking into a lunatic asylum because I'm saying how things are and then everything I'm saying is being twisted reports are being written full of things that I didn't say or you know twisted beyond all recognition um, assumptions are being made lies have been told I mean I've heard that so many times by so-called professionals in this in this field 
And then, you know, on on top of that, you've got all the trauma that they're going through. And then they come out and they speak to their friends, they speak to their family and their family. But that can't can't be true because, you know, just tell them this and show them that. And you've got this evidence. And, you know, what about the facts? But for some reason, when they go back in thinking, no, okay, people are going to see this for what it truly is. It gets completely distorted, doesn't it? Right. You you truly do feel like you're operating in some alternative reality. And when you are experiencing trauma and PTSD and all of those things, and you're still healing from an abusive relationship, you know, you do end up presenting as unhealthy, as unstable. I watch it happen all the time. And it's one of the most heartbreaking things I have to do with my clients is say, you know, we need to compartmentalize your trauma and you need to go in and present well for the court. I mean, there are people who are capable of doing that to some degree, but that's not the norm. That's not, uh, it goes against everything we know about mental health and trauma, but you know, there's so much strategy involved in family court it's one of the worst parts of, of what I do is teaching people that, you know, I've, I've been in a bathroom, you know, vomiting from stress and in the court bathroom, and then had to walk into the courtroom and present well, you know, when I am just in this state of trauma, um, forced into the same room as my abuser. And, but then when you're dealing with family court professionals who are not trauma informed, I'm sure the Gabby Petito video has made its, you know, debut over there in the United States. And, you know, we had a firsthand look at what domestic violence looks like and where the victim looks like the unstable party and the perpetrator, you know, that is their stage. And it's, it's so broken and so uneven. Yeah. And, and, and then moving from that, you know, the, the trauma that you go through as a victim of abuse, going through that process, you know, especially if you are one of those people who's had your child taken to one of those camps or put through one of those barbaric programs, the trauma you live with, you know, how do they address that? How do these so-called experts, professionals, how do they address that, Tina? Oh, I, I think it has a tremendous impact on our cases. You know, I think that it, you know, you've got the psychological evaluations, which were not designed for child custody situations. They're not trauma informed. And so, you know, I remember on one of the questions I took, it said, um, do you believe that anyone is chasing you or following you or stalking you? And my answer was yes, because I was being stalked and I was being followed. But on a psyche valve, that would come up as paranoid. But I'm not a paranoid person, but I am in fear for my life from one specific person. Person. And so, you know, I think that there's a lack of training across the board, even in the mental health communities, where, you know, they, what trauma survivors are put through um, by people who aren't trained in what to look for, and, and how to pull these cases aside and, and put them on a different path. Um, there's so many areas that need to be fixed. Exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. And then, you know, then you've got to live with the trauma 
of what you've been through. So on top of the trauma you've already experienced from the relationship, the separation, going through the really difficult divorce, then if you've fallen into this mess, then, you know, and your child has been taken, then the trauma of that, I mean, let's get real about it, you know, for any parent having their child ripped away from them has got to be one of the most traumatic life experiences you could ever go through, if not the most traumatic. So then then those you know people have to deal with that, navigate that, but on their own, because there isn't any support, because that's not recognized as part of the, you know, well, we need to care for that person, because all the focus is on making sure the child is reunited with the other parent, correct? Right. And we're being fair to this other parent. We have to be fair to this abuser, you know. Um, And I've often said the abuse I suffered during my marriage and relationship was horrific. But the abuse I suffered at the hands of the family court system, um, which perpetrated the abuse and allowed it to happen, plus dished out their own abuse, was far worse than the abuse I suffered during my relationship. And so, you know, when, when I'm receiving emails from people who are debating, do I stay in this abusive relationship um, or do I follow this path and go through the court system because it doesn't sound like it's going to protect me or my children? And, and so that in itself is a crisis when victims of domestic violence are afraid to leave because of the family court system. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there is no you know, mediation option for, for this because obviously you can't mediate with somebody like this and they're going to want their day in court. So even if you tried to go down that route, the, the odds are you're going to end up with them, as you said, having their stage. So, I mean, I guess it's important, you know, for us to think about, you know, how can we help people? People listening right now going, this is me. This is either I'm in that toxic system. I'm facing this. What advice and and tips and advice can you give to people listening who really are feeling like, oh, my goodness, I just don't know where to turn right now? Right. You know, surround yourself with others who get it, you know, support groups, um, you know, and, and with other people who have been through it, you know, divorce coaches, the services you're offering are life-changing truly are, you know, and that's kind of what I became also is the person that I wish I would have had by my side through the the entire journey, because even the most well-meaning friends and family, nobody can understand this, this alternate reality we're all forced into. And so finding support is so important, but then also educating yourself on the system that you are in, no matter where you are in the world, you know, educating yourself on your judge, on your magistrate, on whatever professionals you that are assigned to your case, you have to know who they are um, and local support groups um, to connect with others and learn your local system. Um, I know a lot of people have access to watching court proceedings online, that's invaluable. If you do have the opportunity, I don't think you do over there, but here in the U.S., you know, even watching Zoom court cases in the U.S., you know, because the systems are similar, you know, they're both very broken, but just to start to desensitize yourself to the court process so that it's not a source of trauma. You know, I used to go sit in court and watch other people's cases just to learn um, 
so that I wasn't so triggered by the process. And so, you know, and, and understanding the importance of strategy, you know, emotions do need to be kept out of the courtroom because we're dealing with family court professionals, a lot of them who are highly narcissistic themselves, or they've been trained to shut off their empathy switch. So when we come in with, you know, emotions, which are warranted, those are better kept with your therapist um, or your, you know, support team so that you can show up in court and, and truly be of a strategy mindset. Mm. Such good advice. I mean, such good advice. I also would add to that just one thing there about the experts that in the UK, at least you have a choice Like you have to consent to the expert in a lot of choice a lot of times. So, for example, if, if it's a private case and your ex is putting forward maybe somebody then you have to agree that. And if you don't agree that, then maybe the judge might override that. But, you know, initially you have to say yes or no. So that I think is critical because obviously there are some good professionals out there that do have the empathy, that do have the training, that do really understand domestic abuse, domestic violence, all those things and can spot the signs that are hard at times to spot, but the coercive control and the emotional control behind what is being shown, you know, like you were saying on the stage in court. So again, really researching the expert before you consent to agreeing is going to be key. I think. Yes. Just to be really aware of. 100%, you know, keeping a list of all of the, you know, whether it's a psychological evaluation, all of the evaluators on a list, every single thing you hear about them, everything you can find out online, you almost need to become an internet sleuth and, and really do your homework because, you know, just like I said, if you walked into several different courtrooms, you could come out with several different outcomes with the same case. Who is assigned to your case? is so important. And so that's wonderful that you do have the ability to, you know, and that's where I think a lot of naivety comes into play where I just assumed in the beginning that all professionals were there to protect my children and act in the best interests of children. And there are some good ones, but there are unfortunately more, you know, individuals who are not trained, not trauma-informed and can have horrible consequences on your case. Yeah. And who are malicious and potentially corrupt, I would add. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah, so let's not forget them. Okay. Right. Well, I mean, gosh, I mean, it, you know, I mean, for people listening, it is tough, but there are lots of people who have been through it. Obviously, Tina's been through it. You know, I've, I've interviewed other people on my podcast who have had also very difficult scenarios going through the family court system. Um, so, yeah, and there are a lot of people out there campaigning. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. How can people find you, Tina, if they want to follow you and, and, and see and learn more about your journey? Uh, One Mom's Battle is my website, and it's um, O-N-E-M-O-M-S, Battle, B-A-T-T-L-E. My books are all available on Amazon. It's a whole series called Divorcing a Narcissist. Brilliant books. I have them all. I love them. I'm a huge fan of yours, as I said. And, you know, I can't thank you enough for coming on today because, you know, I mean, we've we've not covered enough, really, have we? I mean, in, in one episode, it's hard because we could talk for hours. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you know, but hopefully, you know, we've shone a light there and you, you definitely have shone a light on some of the, the key issues there. 
um, and given some advice about how people can navigate that. But do reach out to Tina. Do follow her on, on Instagram as well. I have one last question for you, Tina, that I ask all my guests that come on my podcast. Um, my podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And I think it's really important to know what happiness is for you because, you know, going through some super dark times during the family courts, again, this is really important. So what is happiness for you? For me, it's inside. You know, I think the biggest part of my own healing journey was, you know, almost dating myself. You know, who am I? What makes me happy? How do I show up in the way that I would want other people in my life? Um, you know, and, and being content internally and, and working through all of those things, um, that I brought into the equation and, uh, it's a, it's an inside feeling. Mm. No, I love that. What a great answer. Thank you, Tina. I mean, you've been amazing as I knew you would be. Thank you for being such a fabulous guest. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. That's it for today's episode. Do head on over to onemumsbattle.com and that's mum with an O for those of you in the UK who would spell it usually with the U, it's with an O to find out more about Tina and her work. And I look forward to you joining me on my next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sara's virtual retreats. The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sara herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com where you can also get a copy of Sara's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.